We want to show the real side of small business, the true small business life. There are a lot of misconceptions about small business and we want to give you a glimpse into the real life of a small business owner. The highs, the lows, the failures, the successes, the full small business life story so that you too can know that you are not alone on your small business journey and so that you can see the journey that many other small business owners have taken themselves. Remember to like, share, and comment so that many others can share in the small business life story. Hello, Ben. Thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, John. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for carving out time. I know you got a lot of stuff in the, a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So <laughs> I truly appreciate it. Oh, yeah, no problem. And yeah, sometimes it, it seems like several irons and several fires, and other times it seems like several irons in one giant fire that I can't get out <laughs> of. So it's all good. Welcome to the small business life. You and, yeah. I have had a, you and I have had a chance to get to know each other a little bit. Uh, but for those listening, who is Ben? What's kind of like the life story to business ownership? Sure. So uh, I was actually born in Rockwall, Texas, uh, or born in Garland, but raised in Rockwall, Texas. I, I graduated from Rockwall High School, um, went to Texas A&M University, got a degree in sport management, which uh, doesn't get you into many doors. Um, Small but, network, uh, but very tight. Yes, yes, very much so. And uh, I really, I, I had a lot of trouble finding a job in sports. And so I ended up uh, doing other things, welding, driving delivery trucks, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, but I did that for about three years, then went back to law school. It was something I'd always thought about, but uh, frankly, by the time I finished at a and I was ready to not have homework for a while. <laughs> I was just yeah. kind of sick of school, <laughs> um, which it, it was good because I got to law school and had more life experience. And so, you know, when people would talk about real world situations, I knew what was going on. And I think right. some of the folks who went directly from undergrad to law school missed that. Um, got out of law school, worked doing what is uh, called insurance defense in the business, but it's basically defending against uh, personal injury and property damage lawsuits. Um, I uh, did that for almost two years, loved the people I worked with, hated every part of the work I was doing. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it was I, some people are built for courtrooms and they enjoy that stuff. I just am not one of those people. <laughs> we all have our strengths and weaknesses. You know, we all have those things that we like and dislike. Right. And, and one thing that I really loved about that job and, and segues nicely into this is that my boss, uh, Mike Tanner, who I'll give a shout out to at Touchstone Bernays, great guy. Um, Mike Tanner was always encouraging me to kind of find the things that I did like to do. Um, and, you know, as long as I was getting my other work done, he let me pursue those. So I was right. able to do a lot of um, what we call transactional work, which just means not litigation. I was able to do a lot of transactional work. Um, you know, for clients that I would bring in, um, I, I use that term kind of liberally there, but, um, you know, so I was, I, from the get go was getting experience doing what I do now. And now I'm a couple of years removed from that, but I, I have, you know, 
probably not the equivalent of four full years experience of it, but you know, probably at least three. <laughs> well, you can round up. Yeah. yeah, sure. Let's, let's round up. I, that's, you know, I can do that. Right. I, I went to uh, law school. I'm not a math major or an accountant, so I can <laughs> set my own rules for rounding and we'll, we'll call just over three years, four years. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Okay. So you did that. And then eventually you became partner at legal firm. Yes. So what happened was I uh, left Touchstone Bernays. I went to work for a different law firm in uh, Arlington that was supposed to be more transactional work and ended up kind of not being that. Um, and I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. And I left. Um, I, I had something else lined up and I left January 31st of 2020. And before the next thing that I had lined up could really take place. COVID hit. <laughs> oh, dang. Yeah. It's, it's not an original tale, but it's, it is a frustrating one. And uh, oh, yeah. so really what I started doing, I was looking for other jobs, but started doing basically the work I'm, I do now. I just wasn't doing it under the guise of a firm. You know, it was all very kind of one-off, you know, people would call right. me and, that kind of thing. And eventually I talked to uh, one of my friends from law school who had his own firm and his last name is Shooter. And uh, I was talking to him and I said, man, you know, I'm, I'm getting kind of busy, but I also am looking for more work. And he goes, well, hey, I've got, I've got enough work that uh, I could use some help. So if you want to slap your name on the building, let's do this together. And uh, it, it has turned into, I mean, the, the best possible decision I could have made. So, um, you know, a, a series of stumbles, uh, somehow, you know, led to a perfect landing. <laughs> and, um, so it was, I, I'm very fortunate in that regard. Not everyone was able to kind of recover from the, the stumbling that came with COVID and job searching and, and running a business and being a business owner and all that. And so I consider myself very fortunate to have been able to navigate those pitfalls um, maybe not very gracefully, but at least successfully at the end of the day. You know, I think there's something to the idea as well that you're always falling forward. Mistakes are going to happen. Right. I, I think it's the Wayne Gretzky, Gretzky quote that goes something along the lines of you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Right. It's part of being an entrepreneur. You're going to take shots and you're going to miss. But it's a little bit of a numbers game. You're going to stick a few of those and the ones that stick make it all worth it. It just takes a lot of grit to be able to get through those downturns. Right. So so that's a question I do want to ask you here. Being in the service industry, because there are a, a lot of service businesses out there, whether it be legal, accounting, consulting, even insurance, uh, web designing, so on and so forth, that transition to business ownership, that's and especially like you did on a partnership, that's no small endeavor. That's a really big deal. What was that process like? What did you look for? How did you know that that was the right call? Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you know what it was like as soon as I feel like I have a pretty good handle on it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. And, um, here's what I'll say. I don't think, I don't think there's any amount of preparation or education that you could provide for yourself that will actually lead to you kind of knowing how a significant portion of running a business works. I, I, I just yeah. don't. And, 
you know, in, unless you start a million companies that are all in the exact same industry, I, I just, I don't think it can be done. And, I think, uh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you first, please. Uh, you know, so I, I'll, I'll very anecdotally, I will tell you, I grew up uh, in a very entrepreneurial household. My parents owned their own business. And so I saw a lot of the struggles and trials that come with that uh, growing up because I, you know, I was eight years old and getting dropped off out there after school to help move stuff and do that kind of thing. So I, I saw what that was like and I thought, okay, well, I'm ready for the sacrifices I'm going to have to make. And then you actually do it yourself and you're like, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I saw the tip of the iceberg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's that, it's that rude awakening moment. You go, holy shoot. <laughs> right. And it's, uh, you know, it, it has been great, but you know, you learn stuff, um, you know, examples are just, I, I mean, something is as inane as keeping up with passwords. I, I mean, as silly as that sounds, but between my personal stuff, the stuff I have uh, jointly with me and my wife and the stuff I have, you know, individually for my business and then jointly with my business partner for my business, I bet I have like, I'm going to conservatively guess 83 trillion pass passwords that I have to <laughs> right I have go. to know at any given point and um, and usernames, you know, and that kind of stuff. And even just finding a good way to store that somewhere secure is difficult. And, and you know, figuring out what is deductible if you want to buy something with the firm card and figuring out how much you can put into marketing and, and just, right. I mean, budgeting, it, 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 there is no part of it that is easy um i i think the key is just learning <laughs> while you do it that way you only have to learn it once <laughs> you know it's interesting we had a, a guest on our podcast about right about a year ago and he owns a small business in the rockwell area um well educated he got an mba he's a you know licensed cpa and he was saying the exact same thing you can get as many degrees as you want but at the end of the day it doesn't teach you how to be a business owner. It teaches you how to be a fantastic employee and a fantastic manager. But right. starting a new business, starting building a new system from the ground up is a totally different animal. And there, no matter what you do, there is going to be a little bit of an element of you got to kind of figure it out. That being said, if you're able to find the right, the right mentors, the right consultants, the right coaches, you can cut off about two years of that learning curve, but there's still going to be a little bit of a, okay, this is the first time I'm doing it. Where are we going type of thing? Right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to piggyback on that, I, I, there are parts of both processes or all of the processes that are more intuitive to more people. And, and, you know, as far as managing people, I'm a, pretty social person um again grew up in a small business household so i i feel like i personally there's a lot more about managing people and trying to get the most out of people that comes a little bit more naturally to me than you know making sure that i have everything in quickbooks exactly organized like it needs to be <laughs> right exactly yeah there's, it's the order of priorities i'll give you another funny one just kind of along those same lines um my dad similar to your story owned a small business growing up and he always told us no matter what you're doing you're always going to be selling and it's so true you're either selling yourself you're selling a product you're selling your character you're always for lack of a better term trying to prove or trying to accomplish something and you need other people to get on board and i think that's one of the biggest differences between being an employee versus the business owner but that is something what was what was what were some of the differences that you saw transitioning from 
employee to business owner? You touched on a few of them. What are some additional ones? Oh, Lord. Um, so as a practical matter, um, billing, <laughs> you know, when, when you are yeah. an associate at a law firm, you bill your time, it gets submitted to some other person, either a partner, office manager, whoever, they compile all of that, make tweaks where they need to, send it to the client. If the client has a problem, they deal with the complaints and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But I like no one ever came back to me when I was a first year associate and said, hey, you know, it says you spent 1.2 hours on this. Uh, you know, let's do it this way and blah, 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 blah. You know, now I like I am, you know, judge, jury and executioner. <laughs> right. You're owner operator. You've got everything under it all falls on you. It's like, all right, I got no one to run to say help. Right. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at a bill and I'll realize that I spent way much, I, I spent way more time on something than it should have taken. And so I've got to go through and cut my own hours. And, you know, on one hand, um, it's the right thing to do. It's, it's fair. Um, but on the other, you know, every slash I make, that's, that's less money that is going to end up in my pocket. It's costly um, overhead. It is. And, you know, and that's, that's the nature of the beast. And as you get older and more experienced, you end up cutting less and less. So it all works out. Um, but yeah, that, that was the biggest, um, that, that was kind of some smelling salts right when I got started is, is what that was. But I like that analogy. It's a little bit of that shock and awe. All right, here you go. Rubber right. meets the road. <laughs> right. And, you know, uh, otherwise it's, uh, you know, I, I had a, I have been fortunate and had a lot of autonomy um, in the other legal jobs I've had. And so I, I have a pretty good handle on how to manage my time. I know when I'm productive, when I'm less productive. Um, you know, I, I know that at like two o'clock or three o'clock, normally I'm going to need like a cup of decaf. I, cause I can't do caffeine cause I'm just old enough to where it'll keep me up at night, but I need something kind of warm that feels like it's going to give me energy. Even if yeah, it doesn't. A little bit of the psychological game. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, but the other, the other part is, um, oh, well, and the biggest, the biggest, um, thing that, that happens when you go from being an employee at a law firm to a partner um, is that your safety net is maybe not completely taken away, but you know, if, if knock on wood uh, here, you know, if I do something that it turns out is malpractice, which I haven't done and don't plan on doing, but you know, it's not like I have someone else reviewing my work to check for that little piece. Right. It, and it, uh, yeah, that will, um, you know, those are the kinds of things, especially if it's something, a new transaction, a new, whatever you're working on. Those are the things that will give you just a little bit of heartburn until all the forms are turned in. Everyone is signed everything they need to sign and you know you wake up the next morning um, exactly so. you are the safety net in that scenario it's a little bit right. weird you're like the owner of the operator but you're also that you know that back office safety net and it's like okay yeah i really do bear all the responsibility here it's not like you've got like a responsibility or duty in a silo you're merging into all the different aspects of business ownership especially something like in the legal world it comes with a lot of um heartburn <laughs> 
yeah, it's um, just off camera is my uh, 10-gallon jug of Tums. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But uh, yeah, it's I, now I, I did great. Um, Shooter, Cole Shooter, my business partner, um, you know, he and I, we complement each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses. And so, you know, he does a lot more of the estate planning and probate stuff than I do, but I do a lot more of the business transactions than he does. And so, you know, I know if I get a client who has a tricky estate planning thing, I, I mean, I'm going to do all the research myself, but, uh, you know, as soon as I put it in there, I'm going to send it to Cole and I'm going to say, Hey, this is what I came up with. Is that the way to do it? And then, you know, and he can look at it and he'll give feedback and, mm -hmm. and very often I end up having to change something, <laughs> but, uh, so it, it really works out well though. And, and that's, um, you know, I, I think that is the number one takeaway that I have gotten so far um, in this partnership is that uh, my my choice of partner so far has been very fortuitous, <laughs> um, which uh, which not everyone gets that lucky. And I hope he feels the same way. I don't want to speak for him, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure he does. But uh, but yeah, I mean, that having having a good trusty trustworthy partner is uh that is that is the key to succeeding in this game you know i believe in you i think it's one of those fallacies in small business you know we call the podcast real small business because we want to show that real authentic side and one of the fallacies is that you know as you, you're the self-made man or it's solo or anything like that even if you are a solopreneur and you technically don't have any employees you're still relying on other people in some shape way or form it's very much a team sport yes you can control the effort you put in but there is going to come a point, if you haven't come across already, where you're going to be relying on other people, whether it be internal employees, external vendors, supply chains, take your pick. You're going to be relying on people and then finding the people that you trust, that you know, that are competent, that have good integrity, so on and so forth. It takes time to build that. And then when you've got it, you've really got to fight to preserve it. Right. So then that's um, a good opportunity here to kind of switch the discussion a little bit. We've talked a lot about the dynamics of being a business owner, but we haven't really talked about what you do specifically. I mean, we know you're a business owner, we know you're an attorney, but that's very, very open-ended. What's the concentration? So uh, I, I have kind of three areas that I practice in, and one is estate planning and probate. Um, you know, estate planning, that's wills and trusts and powers of attorney and uh, all sorts of kind of morbid, grim documents. Uh, stuff um, you have to have. Stuff that is important to have. That's that's for sure. And then, you know, I, I also do the probate side. So, you know, if someone passes and their will needs to be uh, admitted to probate so that their heirs can actually get the stuff that is being left to them, I handle that too. I, I um, don't do as much of that because it, it, I mean, it's an uncontested hearing, but it does involve going to court and, uh, man, I just, oh, I hate courtrooms. It's not what you like. Court. There are better ways to spend your time where not only you enjoy the work more, but it's probably more profitable. It, it Yeah. And it, and it's just, you know, it, part of it, I'm sure, and, I, and I, I'm glad my wife is not on here, so she can't chime in here, but. I'm sure some of it is is a, the lack of control that I have over the situation, um, because you know when you when you submit things to a court, um, you know judges are human. Uh, they they are, and, and court coordinators, court staff, they're human, and right. humans by and large are, um, you know, 
not we're, well no no one is perfect and, and we're not 100 consistent 100 of the time right. that's you know part of the beauty of being a human being but it's also part of the challenge right and and you know if you look back on a day um and you say i did oh, everything i did today was 100 the correct decision and i executed perfectly you're lying to yourself every day there is something you could have done better or whatever and judges are no exception and so you know, I, I work a lot in Dallas County. Dallas is notoriously slow on the court side, and it, it is not necessarily the fault of the judges. It, it is a very overworked system, but, you know, sometimes you might have something that should be a quick, you know, six to eight week process that ends up taking six months just because everything gets really behind or things get lost or you know people get sick or life or happens quit. And yeah i mean and and it's it's all fine it is what it is but uh you know i i don't like relinquishing that bit of control because i know that if it's something i have control over it's going to be prompt <laughs> exactly i think that's part of the reason why you're a business owner you're type a personality you'd like to control the situation not in a, not in a bad way but hey this is this is my baby i want to you know i want to pilot the ship here and that's right. part of the reason why you're a successful business owner why you're a successful attorney but then it also presents this challenge when it's like okay i'm taking this and i'm giving it up for someone else to take it it's like oh it hits the soul right and and that's the thing especially with probate hearings they are i mean 99.9 percent .9 of the time they're uncontested um you know which means there is no evidence to controvert what you are presenting right. and that can get a little frustrating when you know you have all the documents in place that they've been submitted to the court you know that it is essentially a rubber stamp approval but you just have to wait for it to get scheduled and that that bums me out as someone who is really time conscious mm -hmm. um and you know other you know i know this isn't really the point of the phone call i mean the the podcast here but you know, for instance, in Tom Green County, which is uh, San Angelo, Texas, for uh, those of y'all listening in Chicago and Philly and everywhere else, but Nashville, in Nashville, yeah. So uh, in Tom Green County, for uncontested probates, they don't even have you um, have a hearing anymore. They they approve it by submission. So you compile everything, you file it into their court system. The judge looks it over. If there's a problem, of course, they'll reach out. But if everything is good, they just stamp it and send it back to you. And it is incredible that we have private citizens being shot into space. Uh, and it took until that happened for courts to start doing what the courts in Tom Green County are doing. Because it's, I mean, it's genius. It clears up free time for the courts to take mm -hmm. care of things that actually are contested and and you know, have a larger impact on society at large. Uh, it's the improvement of effectiveness and it efficiency. Is. It's producing more output with less input. And that's what we're all after. Right. I mean, there's a reason San Angelo, Texas is the heartbeat of technology worldwide. No, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's, it is a surprising kind of common sense innovation that uh, I personally hope catches on and, and that, you know, it's, that that is a frustrating part of the probate process, but that was like, that was quite a tangent for that. <laughs> well, I think you also bring up a good point for small business owners. 
for it's a very broad statement, but know how the system works. Just because you have the end destination, the yes or no answer that you're looking for, it's important to know how you get there because there are a lot of very, very important details that come up that you probably want to be aware of that could impact your business one way or another. And simply writing it off as, you know, got the yes that I was looking for. I got the no that I was looking for. Yes, that will solve the immediate situation. As we all know, the saying, the devil's in the details. You want to know how the system works. And that's, right. you know, I think you just brought up a perfect example of one of the many, many different ways that the system can work, should work, so on and so forth. If you're not aware of that, it's more than likely going to bite you at some point in time. Right. Um, so in addition to estate planning and probate, I do uh, real estate, you know, putting together real estate contracts, uh, creating and recording deeds, that kind of stuff. Uh, a lot of that ends up being tangential to the other areas I practice in. No complaints. Uh, I do enjoy the real estate stuff. It, it's every time I do it, it gets a little more fun. Um, and the, uh, the last thing I do, which is I, I saved it for last because it, it is not only what I enjoy most, but is the largest percentage of what I do. And that is uh, general small business work. Um, forming entities, uh, overseeing operational things, writing contracts for people, general consulting, uh, converting entities from, you know, one type of entity to another, a corporation to an LLC, or even, you know, a Nebraska LLC to a Texas corporation or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's the stuff I enjoy and I, and I enjoy it for a couple of reasons. Uh, for one thing that's why i got into the law and uh i'll tell you a very brief story when when i was a kid um you know i mentioned my parents opened their own small business and and i you know i was five years old when they opened so it's not like i knew these terms but they were what we would call a sole proprietorship now uh meaning there was no sort of organizational structure and and what that meant is that my parents were personally liable for all of the debts of the business. Right. And, uh, you know, what I tell people is we were fortunate. We weren't standing in, uh, any sort of welfare line, but like we couldn't get name brand cereal. You know, we, we didn't get Cheerios. We got Albertson's toasted grain circles. Uh, they came in a big clear plastic bag and they were on the bottom shelf and they didn't taste anything like Cheerios. Um, and, you know, eventually someone recommended to my dad, well, why don't you incorporate? And then he went and talked to a lawyer, the lawyer incorporated everything for him. And there was that separation of liability where now he wasn't personally liable for the debts of the business anymore. Right. And don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, we didn't start going to the Palm for breakfast or anything like that, but we could get name brand cereal and, and, you know, we could get Dr. Pepper instead of Dr. Thunder and things like that. And, uh, you know, in that, uh, you know, I was eight or nine or 10 years old when that happened. And that was the first time I wanted to be a lawyer. And it, it was to help small business owners help themselves because it made such a difference. You know, my dad was able to be around a lot more and I, I don't I mean I don't want that that sounds awful but you know I don't think he ever missed a basketball game or anything but you know he'd get up at the crack of dawn and he'd be gone until nine or ten o'clock at night sometimes it's demanding you, and you do what you got to do but it's demanding right 
And, uh, you know, once, once he had done that, he was able to hire more people. He was able to delegate more. Um, and he, again, he was always around. He was and is a great dad. So I'm not, <laughs> you know, I don't right. want anyone watching this to think of, of being disparaging or telling some sob story, but that's why I wanted to get into the law. And that is what I enjoy doing most. And plus I love, I love learning about what people do and, I have been very fortunate. I have I have clients in a wide, wide range of industries, and I love learning about how each industry works. Um, and every once in a while, I pick up on something, and you know, then it, next time I'm you know patronizing one of those places, I can kind of see, oh, well, they're probably doing that because in this industry, this leads to this type of overhead, or this requires this right. type of insurance, and so that's why they're blah 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 blah. And uh, and I. I just love it. My wife thinks I'm insane for it. And she's right to a large extent, like she is on almost everything else. Um, <laughs> it's on the record now. It is. Yeah, it's that was I will I will say that under oath anytime. But um, so, yeah, that's the majority of what I do is the small business setup, maintenance, uh, solving problems, uh, mergers and acquisitions, that kind of stuff. I, I just love it. I love helping small business people make things better for themselves and their employees and their families. I think that's one of the really fun areas to be working in. It's so applicable. It's so pragmatic. It's such immediate impact. It's like it's almost in many cases night and day. And it's like when you're the one kind of piloting that that path, so to speak, you have to help that business owner walk through the process. And at the, when it's all said and done, the job's complete. It's like, I got them, you know, a couple of big steps closer to them, you know, achieving their dream that they've been working so many hours a day. They put so much of their life savings into it, so on and so forth. It, it's pretty cool to have such a big immediate impact. So then another question for you along the lines of being a business owner in the legal world, where is the industry kind of going, particularly in regards to like digitalization? So that's something that we at the McGraw Council are really big believers in, we even office virtually. If you were, um, and again, not drifting into the, the context of legal advice, I'm gonna put that disclaimer on it right now. In the in the context of the legal world, the legal business, how is the digital technology, how is the virtual technology working its way into that specific industry? Well, I, I think that there are three major advancements that we have seen. And um, I will, I'll start with the most recent and work my way backwards. Um, the most recent is court proceedings via Zoom. Um, we need to keep that forever. I, I, when I was litigating, I used to have to fly from Dallas to McAllen on occasion. And uh, for those of you not from Texas, Dallas is near-ish to Oklahoma and uh, McAllen is almost in Mexico. So it is, it is a, a long, long way. I mean, it would be an eight and a half or nine hour drive if you were right. meant to drive. And, um, you know, I would, I would fly down there. I would get, uh, a new one torn by the local judge cause they don't like defense lawyers or people from Dallas. And I checked both boxes and, you know, and it was, it was expensive. I mean, it was $500 in plane tickets and lunch and the, you know, the several hours I build preparing, going down there, coming back. Um, and then personally, normally the two or three makers marks I would have to have in the airport 
bar to kind of get over the butt chewing I had received. And so the ability to do that from the comfort of your office <laughs> is fantastic. I mean, that that is one way that the digital virtual world, I mean, I mean, my wife, who still does litigation, you know, she can handle hearings in, you know, places all over the state, Houston, San Antonio, Austin, down in the valley, way out uh, west, you know, Midland, Lubbock, Amarillo. And, and she does it all from the 47th floor of her building downtown. And so right. it's, it's just incredible. That's, that's one great thing. Um, the other great thing is uh, DocuSign, which, uh, you know, it sounds like such a small thing. And, and I'm, when I say DocuSign, I mean that in the same way I would mean Kleenex talking about all tissues. Like Google. Exactly. Right. Um, Cause I actually don't use DocuSign. I use something through Adobe, but you know, on most legal documents, something like DocuSign works great. I mean, for some things you still need to sign a wedding because they need to be notarized or whatever. But, you know, I I have clients, I can send them engagement letters and they can sign them online and get back to me. I keep it a digital file. That's, um, for one thing, that's less, you know, trees that died in vain, I guess. Uh, you know, it's wasting less paper. Right. It's more convenient for everyone. I mean, especially with smartphones and that kind of stuff. I mean, no one is ever, uh, you know, you're very rarely more than 10 feet from something that you can DocuSign on. Um, so I think that's great. And then the other thing is in this, this is the oldest of these three, uh, but really probably the most important. And that is um, just the information available digitally. And, you know, the law changes all the time, yep. you know, and in Texas, we have kind of a weird situation where the legislature only meets every other year. And so normally when our laws change, they only change every other year. But like this year, there were 670 new laws enacted that went effective September 1st. Right. And, and of course, the vast majority of them aren't going to affect me, uh, you know, when, it, when they update whatever you know how big your your driver's license picture is like I, no one's coming to me asking about that so and you know whatever um but you know like i i have clients in the alcohol industry and one of the changes that went into effect on september 1st was uh grocery stores and other places can start selling at alcohol at 10 o'clock on sunday mornings rather than waiting until noon and, uh, you know, if, if this was a hundred years ago, I'd have to, you know, go to the courthouse and they would post all the updates on the door and I'd have to stand there with 10,000 other people. Yep. And now there's a link on Twitter. I mean, <laughs> uh, and, and between that and the actual research and then, uh, you know, the people in the legal business, they're all about forms to try and streamline processes and, you know, the, if, if you can dream it, there is a form for it online somewhere. And, uh, you know, so that's been great. And, and one thing that, I mean, it helps me as a lawyer be more consistent, but it also helps um, clients because a document that might otherwise take eight or nine hours to type, you might only need three hours to fill in all the blanks and just tweak the language rather than starting from scratch. And, mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, so that it's, you know, it's not a benefit only to the lawyers, it's a benefit to the clients as well. And same with DocuSign, same with Zoom. Those are all cost-cutting measures more than right. anything else. So, 
um, you know, if you really look at the um, effective results of, of those innovations, I, I mean, they are, um, as far as looking at the actual impact that they've had, I would say the biggest impact has been cost cutting uh, for firms and for clients alike. And I think especially in your industry where it's so it's so time-based, literally time is money. If you can save half an hour here and half an hour there, more or less, you know, six hours, money in your pocket, it's reducing your overhead, it's reducing costs for the end user. That's what digital virtual technology is all about. Right. So, go ahead. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a very quick, funny story. I, I was talking to a lawyer out in Colorado City, which is in Mitchell County, Texas, again, for anyone um, interested. And uh, it used to be in the 70s that the nearest law library to Colorado City was in Lubbock. And I don't know how far a drive that really is, an hour and a half or two hours or whatever it is. But, you know, in the 70s and 80s, if someone in Colorado, uh, Colorado City had a weird issue, in there that their lawyer had to research, then they had to pay their lawyer the two hours each direction to drive to Lubbock. And then the time that they spent going through actual books with the little index card catalog thing. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it might take them eight or nine hours of really labor intensive work to find something that is 40 or 50 keystrokes today. And, and it's it's just un, it's it's unbelievable. And when you can harness that and make it work for you, you can yeah. take your business to the next level by leaps and bounds. Right, leaps it, and bounds. And that that is kind of the lawyer version of back in my day. I walked fifteen miles to school uphill both ways in the snow. I mean, that really is what it's like. You, you talk to older lawyers, and they'll go, "Well, back in my day, you had to go to the nearest law library, and you had to go through the index cards, and you had to blah 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 blah." And, and then they always say, well, then there was the, the, you know, what if they didn't put the updates in the books like they were supposed to? And, and so they might even be looking at a library that itself is out of date, right. uh, where now everything is updated pretty much the minute it's signed into law uh, through through the research tools. LexisNexis and Westlaw are the two big ones. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just it's incredible. It's <laughs> fascinating. It's really cool to see the application there as well. So we're going into like the last 10 minutes or so here, a little bit less. Again, this is my favorite part of every episode. Based upon your experiences, what you've seen, what you've had to work with, what are three things that small business owners should know or should start doing if they're not already doing it? All right. Well, I, uh, I mentioned earlier I made my list, so I'm going to briefly look away to consult my list here. So Nice, nice. Um, so I, I'll, I will go from most objectively important to most uh, subjectively important, I think. So the most objectively important thing is to, uh, the, the first thing that is, is to trust experts. Uh, what I tell my, my new business clients is that they need to find three people. They need to find uh, a lawyer, which I like to think they've already done by the time they come to me. I'm right but, here, guys. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, a lawyer an accountant and an insurance agent. And, um, you know, lawyers help you make sure that all your paper is clean. Accountants make sure that, you know, when you f go to file your taxes, you know, the IRS isn't kind of come kick down the doors and say that you owe too much more than you actually do. 
Um, and as far as insurance, I, I'd never really used to understand the importance of that one, but I mean, there are so many different type, you know, general liability insurance, um, workman's comp, uh, all of the other, if you have some sort of license, like I have to carry malpractice insurance, doctors have to carry malpractice insurance. Um, you know, and it's important to have people that you can go to. So it's kind of a trust the experts thing in that regard but i i always tell people trust the experts and definitely find those three people at least um uh, because that is at minimum who you need to be talking to because i you know i don't know your industry you if you're if if i'm helping someone open a restaurant you're not going to come to me asking about you know whether sanderson farms or tyson has the best chicken to buy right right exactly um, but you know <laughs> Uh, but if you're saying, hey, what's the best way to organize this entity so that it's legal and it's easy to expand and keep in the family or whatever, it's like, oh, hey, well, I went to school for that. You're in luck. Um, so uh, the second thing is to not skimp on certain things. You cannot survive in business without a good computer. <laughs> you, you can't do it. There is no sense in trying to run your business on a $150 computer. Uh, so just put, I, you know, I'm not saying go into extreme debt or buy some crazy gaming rig or whatever, but also make sure that the computer you're going to buy and other stuff that you need, make sure it can and will meet the requirements that you have and then spend money on that thing. I mean, yep. it, it, I, I, I am all for cost cutting and saving, but I, I mean, just please don't with that because it's, you're going to, I mean, I, I broke down and finally got a good printer because it dawned on me. I was buying $150 printers every year instead right. of just buying a $600 printer once. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's that type of mindset. Yes. It's a bigger cash investment. It will have a positive ROI, particularly if you're using it a lot. Right. And that's, I, I, you know, every industry is going to have its own things that it needs those kinds of expenses, you know, the things not to skimp on. So, you know, a computer is pretty universal. A printer might be universal, but you know, if it's a restaurant, you know, that, make sure that your ovens are good or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Don't base your, your business on something that's going to die within a year when you could buy something that's a little more expensive, but it's going to last, you know, 10 years. Right. And then, um, the most important thing, in my opinion, um, which is why I said it is subjectively the most important thing, um, is to have something that allows you to turn your brain off. Um, you know, owning a business is stressful, even if you enjoy it. And I enjoy it immensely. It is incredibly stressful. And sometimes it's that cool, good stress where you get home at the end of the day and you pour a drink and you can feel a little bit like Don Draper, like you got a bunch of stuff done. Um, and sometimes it's going, holy crap, am I going to be able to pay myself this month? I mean, it, it's right. so, so, but good or bad, it's incredibly stressful. And it's important to find things that will allow you to not think about your business. Because for one thing, if you can give your mind a break, it will reset a little bit. You'll come back fresh and you might even, I mean, I have epiphanies all the time. And I, I, I used to think epiphanies were some crazy thing from Disney movies. And I'm like, oh, no, wait, all you got to do is just turn your brain off for a little bit. Then they happen all the time. And it almost takes the glamour out of a little bit. But 
Um, you know, and I, I have a lot of things I read constant. I'm always reading. My wife doesn't understand how I can read all day at work and then get home and read about Napoleon and Churchill and all these people. But I'm like, well, it's a different, you know, I'm reading for a different purpose. Right. Um, you know, I, I play golf. I do crossword puzzles. I try and exercise. I'm getting a little bit better at that. Um, you know, and all of those things are terribly, terribly important. And, um, if I didn't do those things as often as I could, uh, I, I would be even crazier than I already am. Um, and, and, you know, and my, my wife, by the way, to give, to once again, give her great credit for being an awesome person. Uh, you know, she has her outlets and, and some of ours touch each other. Some don't, um, but you know, she's got the things that she does that are stress relievers. And when she really started embracing that, she was a lot less stressed out at the end of any given day. So mm -hmm. I think, I think that that is the key thing is to, uh, put as much as you want into your business, but make sure to take some time away from it to, um, to just let your brain rest. You know, I think it's so, so on point, just like when you're at work, you're focused on work. There comes a point where you have to be focused on your individual rest and recharge. You have to reboot. You have to rest up. There's no ifs, ands, ors about it. You have to find a way to make it happen. Otherwise, you can't sustain yourself or your business. And that again, that defeats the whole purpose of getting into it. Right. Exactly. Ben, thank you so much for carving time out of your day for us. I really appreciate you sharing your journey, your story, uh, what you do. And then again, those those three tips for business owners, trusting the experts, you know, don't skimp out on some of those key essential purchases and making sure you take some time to turn off and enjoy life. It keeps you sane. Uh, thank you so much for, for the insights. Yeah, thank you, John. It was great to be here. And uh, well, you know, it's great to be in my office, but, you know, great to be virtually with you. So exactly. Um, exactly. That's awesome. I am. Uh, I am. I love what you're doing and I, I think it's an incredibly invaluable service uh, for, for business owners out there. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to just be a pawn on the chessboard here. Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing, my friend, you stay safe, stay blessed and we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.